Hello, everyone. I am streaming live from Waterloo. I have a guest down the road in Bermondsey. Next time we'll meet in person, but we're kind of half virtual, half in the real world. I'm joined here by a fantastic colleague from the built environment with a very interesting history, which I'm sure she'll explain better than me. But it involves working in architecture, finding out what they're passionate about and pursuing that career. So still in the built environment, but doing something different. So I have the fantastic guest, Denisha Rafiridin. How are you today, Ben? I'm really great, Stephen. Thank you. All the better for chatting with you this afternoon. Wow. There you go. So we met last year in the midst of furlough when I set up the architecture social and you were one of the first founding members. I think you were like number 28. It's pretty cool because now there's over 4,000. But we had an interesting chat because you have a very interesting experience with a very interesting career in architecture. For the benefit of anyone that hasn't met you already, Tanisha, can you tell us a bit about your career and yourself? Thanks, Stephen. Um, interesting is the right word. <laughs> architecture, that is, um, and that is one way of putting it. Um, I've now come to learn that uh, I can call it a squiggly career. And for those of you who are not familiar with what a squiggly career is, I would urge you to look them up. Um, so exactly like Stephen said, um, I've had an interesting career. I studied architecture. I did a bachelor's degree in architecture. And then I was interested in sustainability. So I pursued a master's in sustainability at Moscow University. And just as luck would have it, I graduated in the last recession. So what people now call the Great Recession, which is 2009. Same here. Awful, wasn't it? Yeah, awful. I think, you know, um, so then the other thing in there to point out is that I, um, I was a foreign student at the time, so I was not yeah, yeah. only competing in the open market, um, <laughs> you know, against uh, other uh, more local students. And this is also a pre-Brexit, so European candidate as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a very, very, very dark, dark place to be fighting for a very, very limited job and yeah, yeah. on the back uh, as, uh, as a foreign candidate. and. Like I said, it, it wasn't a very fun place to be. And I think it's probably similar to where a lot of younger students in architecture finding themselves now. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in, the, in, the, in the pandemic. Um, so I had to pivot very, very quickly. And then the way I did it was I found this internship at the Architects Journal. Purely on Twitter, one day I was scrolling on Twitter and I found the internship, a call out for an internship, and they were looking for someone to write about sustainability. They launched a new sustainability blog, and I was like, this is an absolute downright street. I've just done my master's. I'm fresh. No, I'm I'm to do this. And uh, I answered the call. I had an interview with the editor, and uh, I began to uh, to work with her. Uh, and that editor is Hattie Hartman, and she's still sustainability editor uh, uh, the Arctic Journal, it's just phenomenal to follow her work as well. And that led me down to the path that I, I am where I am right now. So if I look back 10 years ago, uh, everything stems from that, that internship that I took the Arctic Journal because through that um, internship, then I learned about writing, marketing, communicating, 
publishing and how, you know, magazines are uh, compiled, how to create content and uh, how to create good content, high quality content. And, you know, the AJ is one of the most respected uh, kind of journals in in the UK and probably around the world as well. So it was a really good place for me to be at the start of my career because I was meeting architects at all levels and they were just because you know I and they were interested in talking to you because you got BAJ so I built a very strong network and through that network then I found my next gig which was at the Sustainable Development Foundation and they were looking for somebody to run uh, their completion um, as well so yeah there's more more writing more communicating and this time more specifically on about uh, sustainability in the built environment. Uh, um, one of the programs that I uh, started working with is the Pacifist Trust. And right. It's just uh, started then and I helped launch it and promote it. And I rule, rule their social channels. They were not on social media. Oh, yeah. uh, and I was like, guys, you need to be on social media. I was like, you don't actually know about it. Like, do you care? <laughs> you <know? laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> it's a word about that. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was the, my foray into social media. So, um, Social media has helped me a lot along the way. And then learning the tools, it was very new back then, learning how to be active on social media as a company and stuff like that, all the yeah. useful skills that I apply now professionally and people actually paying me to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it, it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. And seeing the evolution of it as well uh, over the years. And then... Uh, I think it was five years de- into that journey. And then I, I, you know, I always had this nagging feeling like I studied architecture and there was always a skill that, but I studied architecture. I did a master. I spent all that time, uh, yeah. you know, getting this degree and then, uh, you know, not, I've not been able to use it. That's, that's how I felt. And um, so that kind of prompted me to figure out how to get back into practice and, uh, Fortunately, at that time, the market was turning again. People were hiring again. And through the Passive House Network, uh, one of the architects, that network, um, uh, uh, you know, said, you know, why don't you come and uh, uh, work with that? So that's how I got my foot in the door into traditional practice. And then I was with another smaller company. And I, I purely took on that job just to uh, do CAD stuff. Like it was very basic, like, you know, I took a pay cut to go on down to this, uh, to this role purely just to learn how to draw again, watercad it and all that, all that sorts of things. And, um, and then I told myself in, into the, the last practice before I, I, uh, changed careers again and, um, they weren't so bothered about your CAD skills and they were using architect. Not many studios use architects. So they were like, yeah, you can, you can come along. We'll train you. Yeah. Anyway. And that was, I guess, my closest real experience to being part of um, a, a medium to large practice work. Yeah. Live job. Uh, from all rainbow stages from zero right up to tender construction and going on site. So through, in that three or four years of time that I was with them, I learned a lot about the whole spectrum of actually being an artist. And after that um, journey, so let's say, I guess I could um, allay my guilt and say, okay, I've done this now, but do I really enjoy it? And the answer was no. 
Right. And Incredible the, question. Yeah. <laughs> Did I really enjoy it? And the answer was no. And I think the reason why uh, I felt I found that the answer was no for me was because I had worked outside of practice before. Yeah. And then life in practice wasn't all that it was cut out to be. I mean, it ain't improving. I'm hearing that it's improving. But definitely the work culture, the long hours, everything that we know about, the lousy pay, uh, there were all factors that pushed me away from practice to the point with like, I've burned out. I can't do this anymore. I took time off. I took six months off. I went traveling around the world. I did a whole round the world trip by myself to clear my net. And then I came back with immense clarity. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, the, my perfect job doesn't exist where I can combine, uh, you know, architecture and communications together. So I'm just going to have to create it myself. And, uh, and, and, and I went back to a lot of my mentors and uh, my first bosses. And, and I was like, you know, you've worked with me, tell me, what am I good at? Like, what should I do? And a lot of them encouraged me and said, you're ready to start on your own. Uh, and, you know, uh, and I just started, start, start a company, you know, go on company's house, register the company and, and just take it from there. And that was literally what I, what I, what I did. And I had um, a fantastic friend, somebody who I met um, in Melbourne on my travels. And then she had moved to London and she was looking for work. And, and she's also a, a content creator and uh, she was she was um up for helping me out and so together we came up with the name and the branding and uh, built a very basic website uh thought about what services we could offer uh it's just taken all uh there good for you so and that company is talking about name now are we talking about we're talking about concept culture. Yeah. Right? Yes. That is concept. Exactly. That is how. Oh, cool. That is the story of concept culture. That's it. It, it purely was my desire to create this job yeah. for me, where I could still stay within the built environment, stay within architecture, tell the stories about architecture, but not actually having to do tender drawings and construction. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I get it. I mean, I really get it. And that's why I think what we saw last year, I really resonated. There's kind of two parts to that. One was because in my background, I went into architecture practice and equally, I found no labor or love, like some of my colleagues did, about technical detailing. It just didn't do it for me. I just, it just didn't have the same drive. Yet, I didn't feel like I'm... And I'm not driven personally, I didn't feel lazy. However, it just didn't excite me. And I kind of fell into sales because I'm good at speaking with people. And I was like, what, what do I do after architecture? Now I quite enjoy it. But I remember that moment of um, actually speaking to my parents and they're both quite supportive. And my mum was a bit like, really? You're going to give up architecture? Are you going to go into sales? I don't understand it. But my father actually, um, he, he was really um, supportive of the idea because years ago he was an engineer and he used to work in a factory many, many years ago and he hated the job. And he was like, son, I remember I hated that job. I hated that job and having the strength to move away from it. And he then went into a job he loved and then he was much, much more successful than staying on the tool machine. 
And so that's where I really resonate with it. The other bit that was interesting last year is that when I set up the architecture circle, when I was quite through students and being very specific to you do content creation, you, you talk about writing, you know, working with the journal, the AJ, you know, the architecture journal. And I think some people have that passion in architecture because architecture is quite wise. You know, when you're studying it, I personally didn't enjoy writing the essays and dissertations. It wasn't my, wasn't what I enjoyed, but some people love it, right? And it makes a lot of sense that people really got into that, have a passion for journalism. There's a job in architecture, but I think it's fair to say that not many people know how to do that transition. And it's really not clear, is it? Because if you, if you're deviating away to Nisha from the part one, part two, part three, there is no roadmap really on how to go about that. You kind of have to learn it yourself. Is that how you felt when you did it? Well, one hundred percent. Yes, that's that's that is so true. And um, uh, you know, and the uh, the other thing is, I think uh, a lot of it is down to you know, you mentioned the word strength, and I think strength is a very important um, uh, quality to have when you're transitioning from a subject like you know, you know that you studied architecture. It's an actual thing. It's a formal degree. Yeah branching into journalism, which is also a formal subject. People study journalism. And and a lot of my uh, colleagues at the AJ uh, had more journalistic and write literature background. But the AJ also had uh, writers and contributors who had architecture backgrounds as well. So I, so I took some comfort in that, that I didn't feel like uh, a fraud in this, in this space yeah. because I hadn't done it. Um, a journalism uh, GP, whereas some other uh, had. But what that makes you do is that work from reading card, and then you have to learn everything almost uh, as you go. And a lot of this is learning by doing. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and writing is no exception. So, the more you write, the better you get at it. The more content you create, the better you get at it. So, practice, practice, practice. Um, and, but having said that, writing is a skill. And some are born with it and some are not. So I'm not, I'm not here saying that, oh, just if you start writing, you'll get better. There is an inherent skill. Um, uh, and, you know, some will be better writers uh, than others. But if you, if you feel like you have that skill or someone has told you, oh, you're a good writer or, you know, one of your tutors or somebody or one of your friends, and you're really good at writing. And that's what happened a lot to me. And I didn't realize it, that people were telling you, oh, you're really good at writing and, uh, then if you enhance that skill and practice, then you would be able to elevate yourself. Interesting. Very interesting. So I, in part of my job now is that I have to write a lot of stuff, but it's very different than, it's very different right to the architecture journal than a job description because a job description is what has taken me years to master and it's a very different thought. But it has a lot closer to do with social media, as in the, all the time you learn how to grab this attention, how to draw them into an idea. You have to keep it short enough. In, and this is job descriptions that to the point, but you need to make it relatable, you know, because I think online, and you tell me this because you're the prophet, you're, you know, this is what you do. But my understanding is everyone's busy, right? So much information out there. 
And the art part is really how to reach out and make it relatable. So that someone clicks on your art piece in a noisy world. So on that point, just before we move on to it, I would love to know <laughs> what you think of the, the stuff I do in the art fix of social. Have I got something or have I not got something? And you can tell me the oh, proof. Oh my God, that you took me on. <laughs> I could probably do, I could probably do a proper copywriter and journalist, but well, how am I? I think that's what I was going to say, like, as you were talking. So there's a difference as well within the, within the writing. So there's yeah, yeah. that editorial and there's writing that's copywriting. Okay. So a lot of what we do at Concept Culture is copywriting. And the difference right. between writing editorial and copywriting is even you, when you're writing copy, that is the exact, when you hear it, you hear people writing, oh, this copy is here, the copy is there. Those are words that are predominantly used right now. And to attract attention. Uh, that's what I do, copywriting then. Exactly. Yeah. So when you see, oh, so there's a job that's a copywriter job, that is essentially somebody uh, who write words to sell a product or a service or whatever. Uh, and there's a psychological element to it. So they're writing to convince the reader or to persuade the reader to buy the product, click on the link, uh, you know, follow us on the uh, whatever it is. Whereas more of the, what the AJ does is editorial. Yes. Opinion pieces, thought leadership. And that's where I, that's not yeah. my strength. Yeah, exactly. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> To get the narrative, keep yeah. going, the reader journey. Fact checking, fact checking, yes. interviews. Yeah. So that's a more technical aspect to, to writing. And I think I, 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 depending on where your, where your skill set lies, if you're more, uh, investigative journalist sort of thing, then you probably enjoy the editorial side of things. Yeah. But if you enjoy being on social media and creating content for social media, then you're more of a copywriter. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then deviating slightly, but you enjoy this. So. One of the tools that I actually use at the moment on the Arctic Social, and I paid a lot of money to use it every month. And some months I use it a lot, and some months I don't. They actually use a copywriting tool called Jarvis, which is an uh, artificial intelligence tool. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I use it all the time. It's because sometimes I find it really good, especially when I've got writer's black. Uh, writer's bank? What am I on about? Uh, Writer's block, exactly. And it can be really, really helpful. And I find that sometimes it can be super great. And the other times it goes off on a tangent. So I still think it's a great time saver, but it's a tool, isn't it? And I'm not going to say it's going to replace people because I don't really don't see that happening. It's a bit like when people go, uh-oh, LinkedIn's going to replace recruitment. And it's like, well, not really. It's a tool. Uh, what's your experience of all these quirky tools, Tanisha, then? Um, I personally haven't used Jarvis. I don't need yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah. I have heard of you it. Can have a go of my, you can have a go of my one at some point. Okay. Oh. And, um, and, uh, but I do know that, you know, in the smaller businesses, uh, yes, they do a lot of things. Yeah. And there are other these copywriter tools that help you create content quickly. And I think they're useful then in the time saving uh, perspective because it's not easy to create content on a regular basis. I mean, you do the no. architecture social. I do it professionally. My inspiration doesn't hit every day. So sometimes, you know, and yeah. for the days when you have writer's block and creative block, it is useful to have a tool or some other source of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. inspiration. 
Um, definitely uh, use it to, to, to help you for sure, but it is not a shortcut for hiring somebody. I think you would get more value by firing uh, the right copywriter. Correct. Yeah. It struggles with the narrative and <laughs> you need to really fact check it. But where it can be good is just how to phrase words and stuff. So it's a really good tool for me. Sometimes I'm like, try to get that sentence out. You're like, oh, that's good. And the other thing I found that was good was with SEO. And that actually brings me on to a, like another part of the chat because there's so many facets in your job. And like, and I'm just inserting my opinions here now, but with the, with the architecture social, and I'm sure you, you have a lot of clients as well who are, you know, maybe small at the moment, but building yourselves up. It's actually a full-time job as, well, that's what your job is. To link the social media, getting the message out there and coordinating all this stuff. So I try really hard to make sure that I use certain tools because otherwise I get sucked into the rabbit hole and my timing gets lost. So I, I tell you, I tell you my tools of the train and you can, re, you can reveal me. So I use the Jarvis, but it's expensive and I'm speaking on, do I need it or not? The other thing I use, which I think it's a lot easier, is buffer. So if I get one piece of content and I put it all out on the social media channels, because my view is that, um, yes, I want to engage, but social media is really about building an audience. And I think that's slightly different than the architecture social forum, because I see the architecture social forum as a place that people can talk and that's a community. Now the advantage I got is that it's, it's a channel builder, but the other tools are more how you manage the social media because you can get sucked into Facebook, you can get sucked into Instagram, you can get sucked into Twitter. They're all very different, but I use that tool to manage all that. I also use Grammarly because I'm not, you know, I need it. And what else do I do? I'll have a quick look on my, on my Google, I use Bitly, but that's just to shorten the links because, you know, every character's, um, and I use a tool called Keyword Surfer for SEO. And that just tells you if I'm saying the right things when I'm building the architecturesocial.com. But that's it. How do I survive the crit? Am I, am I doing all right? That's very impressive. That's very, very impressive. It sounds like you're very organized and you're on it. And oh, I, I, don't know I, I do not. I mean, if you're, if you're a small business or a practice, you're growing your personal brand, I would absolutely advise using a content scheduling tool like Buffer yes. or Planoly or Hootsuite. There are many on the market. Um, yeah. You have to test them all to see what works best uh, for you, yes. what's worth within your budget, because some of them are paid uh, paid tools. And that's the key step to any sort of content creation content. And that sits under the wider content marketing, which is a part of your wider marketing strategy, is about being organized. Oh, Having that content calendar, and having content pillars and themes, everything that aligns with your message. And then if you're like yourself, like you have events or you're running a podcast, then, you know, you will plan content around promoting the podcast before it's released and then promoting it after it's released. Uh, you know, that calendar will help you stay organized and tools like Buffer or Hootsuite will help you stay um, organized. So you mentioned Bitly, Bitly is not new. <laughs> but, um, wow. it's very yeah. very helpful to shorten yeah, yeah. URLs for Twitter uh, yeah, so that helps you track traffic as well because it yeah. covers the traffic sources and then at Elias Keyword Surfer there's also Hotjar and then HubSpot there are a lot of these SEMrush there are a lot of these uh, 
companies that have free tools. There's none of free tool as well that you can, you know, see in your website. Yeah, yeah. Um, how healthy your, your website is. I mean, SEO is a whole podcast. Uh, in, uh, uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's so deep, isn't it? And, yeah. and we'll have another one on it. But I think <laughs> I choke that sometimes, and you get it, because a lot of what I do is a website. And it's so important to learn because it is the difference between being seen or not. But you are right. There are so many levels. The algorithm is constantly changing. There are principles there which work. But you're right. I tell you what, though. My goal is uh, once I get my business making enough turnover, I plan to move away from doing the social media because I, it's very exhaustive doing everything. And I imagine part of your role and part of your business is to take that. So at some point you'd be like, Steve, hand over the butter, let's go, hand over. Do you, is that what your role is? And when you go and meet companies, then do you try and like say, look, I will take care of this part of it. We need to work out your journey. We will work out your meaning. I would love to know a bit about, you know, a little bit about concept culture. That, that's absolutely it. That's half of my sales pitch there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Take it away. I'll be like, I'll be like, here's the accounts go. <laughs> well, I mean, um, essentially, uh, a lot of the time, well, a lot of the work that we have is, is through my own, the network that I have. But yeah. uh, this, very often a, a client will come to us from Google. They have found us on, on Google. And that's always a win because, and this is one thing I advise clients and, and like make your website work for you. Your web yeah. can bring you leads even when you're skipping. That is mm. the job of the SEO, uh, you know, like uh, yeah. you know, every other time I get somebody who books a call directly from the website. You know, we have a link to book a call with us, a consultation call, a consultation call, and I'll get somebody and that they found me. And I'm the first person asked, how do you find us? And it'd be from Google. So that's how I know that our yeah, yeah. strategy is working. Yeah. Um, so essentially what, and like, you know, for example, they would, uh, a company would come to me and they would say, ask, uh, they are, uh, they would have a problem. At that point, if they come, they book the call, they have identified that they have a, a problem. So let's say that they're, okay, let's, give, let's create a hypothetical scenario. Um, they're yeah. 10 years in the game. Okay, they're a practice that they're 10 years in the game. And, uh, you know, predominantly the work has only been one word of mouth. And you now want to branch and work in a different sector or a different, uh, attract a different audience. Uh, and they want to grow, you know, uh, and they want to celebrate their success that they've been around for 10 years. This is, it's no joke, you know, for being in practice. It's yeah, yeah. a journey. And, uh, and they say, oh, well, we don't know the first thing about, uh, creating an online presence. Uh, how can you help us? And, and that point, that's when I would ask them, so what have you done in the past? Do you, you know, have new, uh, do you have a brand story? And, you know, what, tell me about your brand. And, and I have this questionnaire Then I take them through. And I ask a lot of questions and diagnose where they sit. Like, are they comfortable with their brand story? Are they, are, you know, and are they comfortable about the messages that they're saying? Are they sure that, that these are the messages? They have clarity yeah. of what, what we stand for as a practice. No. Uh, does everybody in the team know <laughs> what we stand for um, as a practice? And then depending on where they are on that journey, then I will, I will. I will craft a bespoke plan for them. So I was like, okay, let's take you through the branding exercise first. Let's build this brand strategy for you. Let's carve out the messages first, understand who you are, you know, why you exist and how you help your audience. 
And then we go on to tactic, which is then where digital marketing, then we'll talk about digital marketing. And that will depend on the resources available to them, uh, you know, if they have in-house support, or then whether they want us to create the content as well. And then we'll, we'll create the bespoke plan, what the content plan looks like. So depending on how many channels they want to be active on, um, and if they want uh, a blog, because a blog is the best way to boost your SEO. I was, yeah, 100%. To boost your SEO. So if there's anyone who tells you blogging is dead, that is not true. That's so rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? It's what, and, and, and just to add to that, I completely agree. But then I think in that scenario, it's about challenging what people think a blog is because it's not about just taking like an Instagram picture or whatever. A blog can be your full piece of substance. But in my definition, and you can substantiate this as the expert, but actually, all those keywords, all those things that you talk about, if you have a cohesive narrative piece on the blog that people read for a certain amount of period of time, Google then starts realizing that people are spending good time on that content. So then it starts to kind of see you, uh, identify you as an expert in a niche. And that's powerful because that's when the rankings start going out. Is that accurate? Loosely? A hundred percent. And also it takes, it, it takes place over three. Yes. So that's the other thing to note. Like, even if you start, if you bring in an SEO uh, expert uh, to help you, yeah. you need to give them time. So it'll be at least three, four months before you will start uh, ranking for the terms that you want to rank. Yeah, yeah. And then six and then one year, one year down the line, you will have uh, better results. And I think the reason why I totally 100% emphasize on writing vlogs or writing newsletters to direct people to uh to the blogs it's because google rank keyword based article or like you know a link page will barely rank number one so it's what is the value of that content so if you're writing blogs regularly and good quality and then you're writing yes. newsletters to promote those blogs or you're um, ha are you for you acting on social media and you're constantly driving people to read those blogs then Google start realizing, oh, this, you guys are doing good quality content and we need to promote this. So yeah. all the webs, all those keywords that, you know, building this, it's literally building a web of signals to tell Google, like, okay, these guys are creating good content. We need to really yeah. fire. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's so fascinating and just for anyone, because we're covering a lot of grants here. So wherever you are, Stephen, you're a business professional, right? I think, and I've got a comment from the only experience, but. I, even when I was a part one, I was the only part one who had a website at the time. And you had some people add Wix, but I actually learned WordPress and WordPress can be as simple or as complicated as you make it because it can get very interesting in the back end. And a lot of the architecture social is actually built on WordPress, but it was through learning the website when I was in part one that got me to where I am now, that kind of passion or that interest in web designing has become such a valuable skill yep. that it really, really, really helps. And I would say even in recruitment, it always could be in a massive unintended advantage because when you start talking about SEO and whenever you're doing your business or even about how you build an online persona or professional like CV portfolio or website can be useful. Now, I always think that, say no, if someone's listening to a student, yes, you want to make CV portfolio, the most important document. However, 
And this is the bit which I think the, C, the uh, website is not a replacement for them, but what it can be is like a really nice complementary piece and it can be beautiful. And imagine if you start working on your website when you're a student and it could be like, I had, I own stevendrew.com and that was lucky because I bought it at a time just before a baseball Steve Drew guy went and rocked it out. And see, so it's good to get that domain. What I'm saying though is learning those skills as a student, the SEO started ranking for that and I started learning all these lessons. So it's really, really valuable to get into, even if you've still found to do an architecture or if you're, you know, if you're a journalist or whatever, I think it's so, so good to learn and you can just use WordPress. So, I mean, like now there's like Webflow, which looks really, really interesting. I, I would probably, if I was a student, I would probably be looking at Webflow. I can't really do what I want in the architecture social in it because it has like 60,000 pages, which is a bit insane, but that's what I would be looking at. Um, do you think building web websites is a good skill for everyone? Well, definitely. If you're, if that's, that's what you want to do, I think, but understanding the basics of what I mean, goes into the making of a website is also, yeah. is also good, good enough, unless you want to transition into becoming UX, that's experience, UI, that's user interface, designer. Then you'll have to really learn the languages at least, watch out and the like. And uh, I don't, that's why I hire developers. <laughs> so we have a team as uh, developers and, and we use Webflow a lot, actually. So I'm glad you mentioned, mentioned it. We're advocating for it. And yes, good. Webflow, I'm starting a project. This week, actually, uh, which is also going to be in reasonably advocated is purely uh, for the benefit of the client, because then you, you can edit it easily in half. Yeah, exactly. Think, uh, that, that it takes that sting out of editing, it, uh, whereas WordPress, depending on how complex the website is, you will need some basic understanding on HTML. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you do. I, I do CSS and I've yes. bits of Bob's and. And, and it's all no, with WordPress, you are on the strength of the theme. Yeah. It, so a theme is something you install into WordPress. Whereas what I like about Webflow, and it, it, to me, it kind of makes sense architecturally. And like, like you've used Adobe and all this stuff, probably most of the listeners you have. Then Webflow, yes, is a learning curve, but it kind of makes sense, you know? Yep. And I think because Webflow is part of, is an offshoot of the no code. Uh, movement. So, uh, uh yes. Still, all these developers are like, no, like, virtually, like, if you have any coding experience, you could just, uh, learn how to use exactly how you say so you can build prototypes in a tool called Figma or Adobe XD, which is, uh, similar to InDesign, uh, okay, including layouts. And, uh, so that's, that's the first step that when you in web design, create that visual prototype. Uh, any of the VXD developers uh, preference, and then and clients can then review designs as in as in how they're being built, and they can comment, uh, you know, uh, on those prototypes as to what they like or what they don't like, or um, move this content around and stuff like that. So it makes the well, from the client review perspective as well, it makes uh, much easier. So it's like yeah going away and designing a website and then after a couple of weeks saying, oh, here, this is what your website looks like. And you've had no say 
in the journey, but years can be as much or as little involved as, uh, as in like, uh, in in the process and, and definitely a platform like Webflow. I think architects would love using it. I'd originally want that because there's no, no code involved. So I think, um, if there's an art by, yeah, architects are considering into, uh, UX, UI's design, uh, Webflow would be a great platform. Yeah, I agree. And uh, just so you know, there was, I say world exclusive, that was bigger than this, but you hear the year first that there's actually, I'm actually building something in no code, which uh, people can then use as a tool to navigate their job searches in. It's basically a database that's got a lot of practices in there and people can log in. So say hypothetically, you were looking for a job, so maybe a difference when you were student. So you can keep track of stuff, log where you want. That's one kind of good thing in no code. And it plugs into databases, it plugs into stuff that I can handle. And I really like that because look, there's always a place for a developer, but where I'm at right now in my business, I can't justify the cost of a developer and it's not a familiar territory for me. However, what's interesting about no code is that you can, you can design principles and concepts and then should that go somewhere, then I, I would imagine you could hand that to a developer. To me, it seems like a really smart, logical way to go about things. I'm looking, seeing bubble, I've seen all this stuff and it's really fascinating to me. What's your thoughts on uh, the no code stuff? Does it make sense what I said? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of, um, you know, even when we're uh, uh, working with developers, because like, I think one thing to mention is that this approach is like we're collective of creatives and everyone right. um, is a freelancer or uh, self-employed and this is, uh, and I, you know, I create a team based on what the project needs or what the client needs. And a lot of the times I will have uh, somebody who's both a designer and a developer. Uh, and sometimes I will have someone who's only a web developer and sometimes I will have someone who's only a web developer. Yeah. So in that case, uh, so what you're describing is like, so you would do the design uh, yourself. And then when you're having yeah, yeah. the design uh, and you will need the developer to actually uh, make it go live, design website, design app, definitely for app, <laughs> you will need uh, developers. Uh, yeah, my God. <laughs> you know. It's a deep, it's a deep bend, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you know, it, that's what's interesting about Bubble. I've been looking at that in Bubble. Yeah. Uh, but also right now I'm looking at a database yeah. with, called Stacker. Um, problem is, no codes. There's an element where you you can't, like a bit like a web or anything, you know, the architect and us want to design everything. But there is that trade-off between there's no code and there's something you can do, but there's not complete customability. But what, what's, what I would love to know in terms of your experience, a bit that's daunting with me, and I'm sure, and this is where the skill of what your job is as well, sometimes... I get a little bit dazed by developers. So you mentioned you built up this networking concept culture. Equally, I know, uh, for instance, someone that's built a website similar to the Antics Social. And instead of using a platform like Mighty Networks, which the forum was in, went to a developer, spent thousands of pounds and the technology, it's just WordPress, which has been around for a while. And I think. There is a potential danger you can invest in a developer and they can squander your money or it doesn't work or you need to constantly put money into it. Is, is that a 
their assumption I have, or is that not a case that it can go and can go in the wrong direction with developers? I think I think that is definitely a, you know it definitely does happen, and there are yeah there are bad developers out there, and there are a lot of times they hear people and those who come to me as well who feet fitting very badly, uh, and then they just lose trust in the system, and then yeah it's really hard to rebuild that. Uh, a trust set trust because unfortunately yeah, yeah. like any industry there are good apples and bad apples yeah yeah um, so i think that's where then coming to uh concept culture will help you because we take the sting out of that because essentially my role as the creative director or project manager is to do is to make sure that i am mediator between the client and the creative and in the sense that I also do quality control and to make sure that the creative or in the case the developer is delivering the client brief. Yeah. So that's another way companies could work uh, with us. It's like if they're looking to build a website or they're looking to commission photography or videography and they have no idea how to write a creative brief because it's all about that creative brief because the, the, yes. the create, that is what stems from it. You take this brief to the creative and then they will give you a fold or a price and yeah. deliverables and outputs. And that's work in itself. And, you know, if you have no experience dealing with uh, professional faders, then you could get stumped. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's a really question. <laughs> it, it, it really does. And it's quite interesting that even though what you do is different sectors of minds and, and while you know, if you're part of architecture, but why you're not building buildings per se, what's interesting is that, as you said, briefing is so important, exactly like in the design process. And in that brief, isn't quite right. Unfortunately, teams, it could be miscommunication, things to walk on tangent, and that's where the kind of the cost is. And so I totally understand why, as you say, if you've got your network and then you get developers you trust, then you're going to keep a hold of them equally. Especially when we're talking about collaboration around the world, that briefing needs to be so important. Otherwise, uh, even with the best intentions, a developer could misunderstand what's happening and it could go on the wrong way. But that's also like architecture, or sometimes visualizations are outsourced. They come back wrong. And what happened? There was a crappy brief from the architect. You know, the, the, the colors were wrong and, or, the person makes assumptions and that's because of communication. So yeah, I find, I find that interesting, that whole part of the process. Do you have any tips to mitigate that? Is it just building trust and, and building uh, communication skills? So what, what would you suggest? I think, um, a lot of the, what you've talked about, and I think there's similarities from uh, running, uh, uh, running jobs in architecture crudely, you know, when you run a job, you. Well, you're the project manager as the, uh, as the architect and you have all the very consultants uh, and yeah. an answer to you and create uh, the project timeline and create the Gantt chart. Uh, you make sure that everyone's delivering on time and that's exactly similar what I'm doing now. Yeah. It's not, I'm not building a building, but I'm creating, a, creating content or creating a website or creating a video or creating a podcast. Uh, so the same rules apply. Mm. So regular communication, well, good brief up front and regular communication, regular check-in. So when we do that site, so we'll have fortnightly check-ins with our clients and say, 
this is where we are. Comment now or, or you know, forever hold your peace kind of thing. Uh, also getting it right. You know, there's, there's a point where, you know, even like in construction, like, you know, the draw, everything has to be perfect from the drawing board and then only it goes to site. The same logic applies in web de design and development. So make sure that the web design is tight and then the developer comes in and builds it and makes it functional. You know, making working on inks and then making it live. So make sure that before that happens, that you're happy with with the design. Yeah. So well constant said. communication, uh, regular communication, and be clear on your as on 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 your aspirations, and make sure that the designer or the developer uh, gets it. Uh, and and the other way uh, to go about it is like if you have some visions in your head. Uh, then, you know, create a mood board uh, for them or ask them to do it for you. And, and that's why you will um, have some ideas of what you want your website to look like. So, Very cool. Yeah. So start with the right phrase, have a proper program in place and, and regular communication. Makes complete sense. I think in it, in it, it's what well, it's about. These titles, the conversations, so interesting that while well, you've done a practice art picture and I don't practice art picture per se, that whole approach that we kind of learn of how you look at things in the brief, I think it never goes away. And that's why sometimes when people talk to me about even, you know, the fact that I don't practice art picture anymore, would I, would I uh, not do my part one or part two again if I could change things? And I'm like, no, I love it. There's so much value to it. The way I look at the architectural social. Um, it's just, it's got that mindset that I always have in particular, like Manchester School of Architecture. There was uh, Nick Dunn and Richard Brock. No, I suppose you're listening, but shout out to those who were amazing and they had that kind of inquisitive look and uh, into things to really, really help me with the way I look at designing. So actually, Nisha, I, I like to mix things up here. I just find it quite rude that. Not rude, but why is it always in the podcast that the host gets to ask the questions? So I was wondering if you have one or two questions to me that you would like to ask me, and you've had no preparation for this, but then you can ask me whatever is the first thing that comes to mind about anything. Well, actually, I have listened to your previous podcast, so I know that you do. Oh, damn. Uh-oh. I'm in, I'm in trouble now. These are going to be seriously low. Loaded. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I, I, and it is a very broad question, but on mm -hmm. one hand, I just like to, I'd love to know what's next for the architecture, social, you know, what are your plans? Like, and I know you're passionate about it and what you can grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. My other question is like, now that you're on the Reba Council, um, yes. what do you plan to do with your time there? Good question. Both <laughs> up. So let me tackle number one first and tackle number two to second. Okay. Uh, so we met at the architecture social. And that was when I was on furlough. And the core of it, what's been interesting is that while I'm happy for people to use the space in whatever which way, there seems to be a common theme which people go to the architecture social and it's useful and it gets it to do with my strength, which is employability, right? Or learning how to get a job, reviewing CVs. There's a little bit of fun and bands there and that's amazing, but that's just common. 
breadth. Right. That's this common theme. So when it started, it was CV portfolios. And I guess the next evolution of it, the way I see him, is that I've been spending a lot of time on the .com. And that's paid off because the forum, there's less people using it. And that's fine. But we all got busy lives. And I think we're all been on forums. We're all a bit fed up of lockdown. But luckily, all that time spent in SEO and stuff, the traffic of the .com is a lot. And well, it feels a lot to me. So you could tell me this. So I think I get about organic traffic is about 60%, which is quite big. Um, and it gets about 400 people a day. Um, and about 200 of them are organically. So I'm quite pleased with that, considering that the website's been going a year and I haven't spent one pound to set the time on marketing. But as we know, my time and your time is worth a lot. So it's probably thousands of pounds if you look at it that way. But that's a nice part of it. Where's it going now? The truth is it needs to bring in the revenue, okay, to be self-sufficient. We run businesses, you know where it's like, and, and luckily I know recruitment from before. So there will be a level of doing ethical recruitment, but I think that that fits in with the theme of employability, but then that also fits in with the theme of keep bringing in a revenue, which will keep itself sufficient. And if that's the governing factor, as in, I am not uh, at beckons to certain sponsors, then there's a certain liberal theme I have a bit that I can hopefully keep the name and the, uh, you know, the CEO of the artist in the kind of spirit it's done. Having said that, I'm not against Autodesk sponsoring the architecture social or anything like that. I would be more than happy to speak to you Autodesk. And I would more to be more interested to hear from anyone in the marketing world. But that's where my mind is at. And I think to the, to the goal of why, I think that if people still find value in it and get jobs from it in their own search or through recruitment or whatever, then I think it has a value and a place. And if people could learn, that's the goal. So that's where I'm at right now, bringing the revenue in. That's the... The specific answer. Well, does anyone know, know anyone in Autodesk? I think uh, Autodesk, Autodesk should jump on this opportunity. Yeah, come on, talk to me, right? Uh, well, I need to go out there and reach out to them as well. And as you, we know, finding the time to build a web a company and promote a company, is, it, it, yeah, it's hard. But we'll get there. Um, second question you had, we would cancel. That is a good example of creating the architecture social brought on new opportunities. And through the connections that I made, meeting people like myself and Clubhouse, like for instance, Jason, who was one of the people that put them forward for him, there was an opportunity. And maybe in the past, they wouldn't have gone for it. But actually, I'm not part two. I don't plan to get my part three. And I thought, you know what? I'll put my hat in the ring for this position because very interesting to know like the people who stay as a part two kindred spirits like uh you know i say us loosely so whether you're a part one or part two whatever or you you move with architecture it's quite an interesting role there and to be part of reba and also the other bit i thought would be good about tackling with the 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 positions of being the representatives of part two you had that nice point getting the part three or doing other stuff in the industry. And I feel like 
I'm at a point of authority where, where I've helped a lot of people transition into architecture. And as you know, people like ourselves, it's okay not to do architecture. So I think, hey, I'll, I'll run for CC. But Reboot is very different than what I'm used to. And it's been a bit of a learning curve. And what I would say is that, and this is that there's so many different people in Reboot that you're right. You really do have to pick your values and where you can really make a difference because if you try to tackle everything, you just wouldn't have any time. Very might do this as well as your full-time job. So I think where I'm focusing on Reba, so I'm part of the Reba Future Architects Group, which is where the, the students are involved. And the other bit is that there is a Reba hub that Alan Jones was talking about and that cricket community forum. So hopefully I can gain some of the lessons I learned in the Arctic to social to make that a little bit more interesting because it's a very different beast, me running my forum to having the reader body and you have different people in the country and different representations. It's a whole different gig. So I think I'll focus on the education, I'll focus on the power and the other thing, which I haven't let go of, and which I said I went with follow and I am, is that all the stuff with unpaying all the time salaries in, 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 in architecture is something like that I was conscious of bringing up and it's something that I am following in the Reaper Council meetings. The reality is though, it's something that we constantly need to talk about. It's not a case of like, you can, you can flick a switch and it's done, but at the same time, that's the goal. So fingers crossed this end of this year, I've done something that comes out of it. And if not, I'll tell you why, but you kind of got to jump into these things and you never know which way they're going to go. But I figure, um, you'll get involved. And I'll be the first to say when I was a student, I didn't know what Reba did for me and I, I, I didn't have, um, a favorable opinion like that. And now I'm getting involved a bit. You kind of see the other side of the coin and you see all the hard work. And at the same time though, there's still a lot to go. So yeah, in the pits of it and we just see where it takes, but. How did I do it? Did I answer those two openly as, and fairly as possible? Or do you mean? Yeah. I mean, you're not a politician yet, so you did answer the no, question. Yeah, I did, I, did, I, I did answer the question basically. And you didn't give a politician's answer, which is great. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I give it. You have an agenda and all the best. See. Yeah. The Reba Council is, is definitely will benefit from you and, you know, your knowledge of how to create a community from scratch, how to engage with the younger generation. Uh, you know, all the content that you're producing and, you know, putting your own time uh, and sweat into it. Uh, you know, uh, and like you said, like, you both know how uh, energy intensive and time consuming creating content is and creating content that's of value is even more energy uh, intensive. So, I um, I hope they listen to you and take your ideas on board. <laughs> wow. That's very sweet of you to say. And you're right. I always try to answer the question. That was the way to answer. The short answer is, Make the Arctic social make a profit, and then Reba will have to see because I'm just in it for the wire ride. We just don't know, but I'll, I'm, I'm in there, and I'll let everyone know what's going on. But enough about me, uh, even though I enjoyed that. We are going to round up the show. Before we do that, you have to stay in the line. But before we log off together, tell everyone where they can find you. Tell everyone where they can find your business. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, uh, for this conversation. And I know it's been almost a year in the in in the making, but I think it's better that we had a, a year late because now yeah. we've grown uh, and much more to talk about and share uh, as well in, in creating better content for your your audience so that you know uh, who they are and what they want. So. I think it's worked out. <laughs> um, as for me, um, yes, you can find uh, Concept Culture Online at uh, www.conceptculture.co. That's .co. It's not .com or .co.uk. Those domains were too expensive. Um, Absolutely. But... <laughs> what a racket, <laughs> I did .co. I, it's happened so many times. Like People will write emails and they'll put a .com and .co. They say, we can't reach you. I was like, yeah, because .co. Do you know what, Tanisha, though? One thing, you're going to be very jealous because... And I somehow literally got the architecture socials for ten pounds, whereas whereas arcsocial.com is two thousand pounds. I got lucky, okay? You know how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you can find us. And we're on uh Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn. We're not as active as uh, uh, we can be, but most of the time we're creating content for files. Uh, but do give us a follow every now and then uh we need to post our content that emanate branding and marketing, uh, your work, uh, be it from a personal brand level to practice place brand, how to tell the story about your project. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so, so much, much. Alicia. Stay on the line. Okay. Because this podcast is going to go up below. Thank you to everyone in the audience. I'm going to end this now. And if you want to get in touch with Alicia, you know what to do. And see you on the next episode.